and welcome to Chills, a podcast where we talk about the paranormal, true crime, conspiracies, and our own personal paranormal stories. I'm your host, Nina Cardona. And I'm Preston Forrest. As promised in our last episode, this week we'll be covering conspiracy theory. Personally, when I think about conspiracy theories, the first thing that pops into my mind are aliens. The existence of aliens has been debated and a popular topic for many, many years. Throughout history, there have been several recorded encounters. We can trace it back to ancient Egypt in 1440 BC in the second millennium era, all the way to this year in 2022. Today, we'll be telling you about the story of Betty and Barney Hill, the first claimants of an alien abduction, and how their story defined the genre of alien encounters and abductions as we know them today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Chills. Betty and Barney Hill had been married for a little over a year when they decided to take a delayed honeymoon vacation. They were both hard workers and had very little free time. Betty worked for the state and handled child welfare cases. Barney worked the night shift at the post office with a pretty lengthy commute of 60 miles each way. So with the little free time they did have, they planned a trip through Montreal, Canada and Niagara Falls. On September 19, 1961, on the last night of their three-day honeymoon, Barney and Betty stopped at a diner in Vermont and drank some coffee before getting back on the road. They figured that if they left the diner around 10 p.m., they would be able to make it home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire between 2 or 3 a.m. They also figured that they could beat the storm that was coming in. As they were driving, they saw a strange light appear in the sky. At first, they had thought it was a falling star, but then they noticed it started to grow larger and brighter with each mile that had passed. Barney was unsure of what the strange bright light could be, but he did not want to alarm his wife, Betty. He assured her that they had nothing to worry about. He told her it was a satellite that went off course. The strange unknown light appeared to be following their car. As they were driving down the mountain road, the strange light followed every turn they took. Then suddenly, it would disappear, and then out of nowhere, it would appear again. This bright light would bounce around in the sky at an incredible speed, leaving the couple puzzled. In disbelief of what was happening, they thought that maybe it was some sort of illusion. Convinced it was an illusion and that it was not following them, they decided to pull over at a road stop. Betty pulled out the binoculars they had with them and looked at the bright unknown light. She exclaims to her husband Barney, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. Barney knew his wife was right. He was a realistic and practical guy and the last thing on his mind was a flying saucer or a UFO. But he knew it wasn't a helicopter or a commercial plane or even a military jet. He said it was way too quiet for it to be either one of those things. Barney was a World War II vet, so he knew about military planes and helicopters, not to mention he was an avid plane watcher. Barney and Betty get back on the road, and now they see that the strange bright light is closer than before. It is now about 100 feet above them. Barney had to stop the car abruptly since the bright light was rapidly descending towards the front of their car. 
He had grabbed the handgun that he had hidden underneath his seat and shoved it in his pocket and stepped out of his car. Desperate and out of options, Barney leaves Betty in the car. As he was looking through his binoculars, he saw what he describes as big as a jet, but as round and flat as a pancake. He recalls thinking, my God, what is this thing? This can't be real. Behind rows of windows, he witnessed anywhere from 8 to 11 gray humanoid figures staring right at him. Then he saw all but one move to the rear of the aircraft. He tried to lift the pistol he had in his hand, but for some reason he couldn't. At this point, Barney was terrified. He thought to himself, we are about to be captured. In a hysterical state, he runs back to his car and takes off. The strange, unknown aircraft is now right above their car. As he is speeding down the road, Betty grabs the binoculars and watches the unknown aircraft through the window of their car. Instead of this aircraft being right behind them, it was now right above them. All of a sudden, they hear this loud, rhythmic buzzing sound coming from the aircraft. The car began to vibrate and a tingling sensation passed through their bodies. Betty and Barney instantly start feeling drowsy and they lose consciousness. A second series of buzzing sounds return the couple to full consciousness. They realize they have traveled 35 miles, 56 kilometers from the last place they remembered being. After arriving home, they had a weird, unexplainable feeling. They had an odd sensation and weird impulses. They decided to take long showers in case there was any contamination that had taken place. Betty and Barney started noticing strange things like their watches stopped working. Barney's binoculars were torn at the strap and his shoes were scraped, but he does not remember this occurring. They tried to recall the events that took place between the time when they saw the UFO and their drive home, but they could not recall what had happened. Their memories were incomplete and fragmented. After a few hours of rest, Betty placed the shoes and clothes she had worn during that day in the closet. That's when she noticed that her dress was ripped at the hem, zipper, and lining. She also noticed a strange pink powder on her dress. Her dress was torn and damaged, and she knew she would not be able to fix it, so she decided to throw it away. Immediately, she changed her mind, and she once again hung the dress in her closet. Over the years, that dress had been sent to five different laboratories to conduct chemical and forensic analysis. We're not sure if the laboratories found anything. We couldn't find any articles talking about this. So I'm guessing that it's inconclusive. There were also these shiny circles on the trunk of their car that had not been there the previous day. Barney and Betty were curious about these and conducted their own experiment. They held a compass up to the circles and to their surprise, the needle started to spin uncontrollably. But once they moved it only inches away, the compass needle would stop. Just a couple days later, on September 21st, Betty makes a phone call to the Pease Air Force Base to report their UFO encounter. She withheld some of the details about their encounter because she didn't want to be labeled as eccentric. She was worried about radiation, which is why she decided to make the call. The next day, on September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson decided to call and follow up with the Hills to conduct a more detailed interview. Henderson's report had concluded that the Hills had mistaken the planet Jupiter for a UFO. Later, this was changed to optical condition 
inversion, and insufficient data. This report was forwarded to Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book was a code name for a study on UFOs conducted by the United States Air Force. This project took place between March 1952 and ended on December 17, 1969. Remember, when we say UFO, it stands for Unidentified Flying Object. I'm not claiming everything to be an alien spaceship. But I do find this very suspicious, especially when Henderson claimed that the Hills mistook a giant strange light that had been following them for the planet Jupiter. Betty was an avid reader, so one day when she's at the library, she checks out a book about UFOs. This book was written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Keogh, and he so happened to be the head of the NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. The NICAP are a civilian UFO research group. On September 26th, Betty decided to write to Keogh. She explains her entire encounter with the UFO, and it includes Barney's description of the humanoid figures that he saw through the binoculars. She also stated how she and her husband Barney were considering hypnosis in order to recall what had happened during the time they can't recount. Her letter was passed on to Walter N. Webb, an NICAP member and a Boston astronomer. On October 21, 1961, Webb met with the Hills and conducted a six-hour interview recalling their UFO encounter. I actually looked at their website and it looks like it's straight out of the 90s. It's like the old Space Jam website. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's kind of cool like that because, you know, I feel like it's fitting. Yep. I was also looking at their, like, the stuff that they had. They're selling a book and they had a hat for sale and I kind of want that. But I don't really wear hats, so. I do. You know what? If they had t-shirts or sweaters, I'd get it. How do you come? We can't remember. We should look into that. We have to be abducted by aliens. No, I hope not. And then they give us our membership card <laughs> when they drop us back off. Later, Betty starts suffering from some disturbing and vivid dreams. These series of dreams continued for five consecutive nights. Betty decided she wants to write down her dreams. In one of her dreams, she was with her husband Barney when they discovered a roadblock. Then all of a sudden, they are surrounded by these strange humanoid figures. They are described as being five feet tall, having gray skin, dark hair and eyes, and blue lips. She is then forced to walk into the forest at night. She notices that her husband Barney is behind her, but he seems to be sleepwalking or in some sort of trance. She has then walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped aircraft, which has a metallic appearance to it. Once inside, Betty is separated from Barney. This makes her even more nervous. But the leader of these beings explained to her that if she was examined with Barney, it would take a lot longer to conduct these experiments. This is when they get taken into separate rooms. Then another being comes into the room and stands next to the leader. She explains that he is similar to the other beings. She calls this being the examiner. She explains that he has a calm demeanor and even spoke English when talking to her. Although it was hard to understand him at times, the examiner told Betty that he was going to conduct a series of tests to note the difference between humans and these beings. She is seated at the chair and there's a bright light that is shown above her. The examiner then begins to cut a piece of her hair, trims her nails, and saves the trimmings. 
He then examines her eyes, ears, nose, throat, mouth, teeth, arms, hands, feet, and legs. Then he uses a dull knife. She describes it as a letter opener to scrape some of her skin off and transfer it to what looks like a slide. He moves on to her nervous system, and he sticks the needle into her belly button. This caused Betty a lot of pain and discomfort. And then the leader waves his hand over her eyes, and the pain disappears. After this, Betty picked up a book with unknown symbols on it. The leader then told her that she can keep it. She then asked him where he came from. This is when he pulled out a map dotted with stars and shows her on this map. After this, the beings escort Betty and Barney off the ship, but an argument broke out between the leader and the beings. They were arguing about Betty being able to keep the book. They end up telling her that they did not want her to keep the book because they were going to erase her memory, and they didn't want her to have the book as evidence. She explains to them that no matter what they did, she would still remember this experience. Then on November 25th, 1961, the Hills were interviewed once more by NICAP members C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Homan. They read Webb's initial report, but they had questions about it. The main question being, why did it take them seven hours to make it home when it should have only taken them four hours? The Hills weren't able to answer their question. They did say that there are certain things that they cannot recall about their drive home, and they had no explanation for the missing time. The Hills thought revisiting the stretch of highway where this took place could rejog their memory, but it did not help. For a couple more days, Betty was suffering from these strange dreams and Barney was suffering from anxiety. Even when Betty wasn't having these strange dreams, she was thinking about them constantly and couldn't get them off of her mind. They decided they needed to seek out some professional help, so they met with Benjamin Simon, a psychiatrist and neurologist who just so happens to specialize in hypnosis. Remember, this was the 60s, so hypnosis was very popular and mainstream at the time. After months of weekly sessions, Benjamin Simon was able to help Betty and Barney piece together what they think had happened during their encounter. This aircraft had landed on their car and put them to sleep. Then, these gray beings had walked them up a ramp and into their aircraft. Once inside, they were separated and they took turns in the examination room. The examination room was described as having a large light that was hanging from the ceiling. They were both asked to climb onto a short metal table. During the process of their examination, Betty and Barney's clothes had been removed. They plucked strands of their hair, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. These samples were placed onto a clear-like material. There were needles connected to long wires that probed their head, arms, legs, and spine. There was one larger needle, around four to six inches in length, that was inserted into Betty's belly button. Throughout this entire process, the leader watched from a distance. After Betty's examination ended, one of them rushed into her room, excited, because they discovered Barney's teeth could be removed. Betty laughed and explained that Barney had dentures. For the beings, aging was a hard concept to grasp. Later, Betty was left alone with the leader. She asked him where the aircraft was flown to. She explains how she knows little about the universe. Then the being jokingly says to her, If you don't know where you are, then there's no point in telling you where I am. 
While under hypnosis, she was able to draw the star map that was shown to her by the beings. And she was able to point where she was while she was on the ship. A couple years later in 1965, the Hill story was published by a Boston newspaper. After the Hill story became a best-selling book and even a movie. But it doesn't stop there. Barney Hill was featured on an episode of a television show called To Tell the Truth, which aired on December 12, 1966. Then, the Hills were portrayed by James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons in a film titled The UFO Incident, which was released in 1975. That sounds like it'd be a good movie to watch. We should watch it. Mm -hmm. Again, their story was told in a TV series called Dark Skies in 1996. But it doesn't stop there. Their story was on an episode of The X-Files, American Horror Story, Season Asylum, and Death Valley, and in 2019, the History Channel featured their story on a television series called Project Blue Book. The Hills weren't the first to have an alien encounter, but their story was so widely publicized that it helped shape the alien encounters that we are familiar with today. Before Barney and Betty Hill's story, alien encounters were friendly, once the Hill story became widely known, there were certain characteristics that all alien abduction stories shared, such as missing time and medical examination, as well as aliens having these large heads and big eyes. These kind of aliens became dubbed as the Greys, which became a classic sci-fi staple that we see in mainstream media and pop culture today. The Hill's encounter further helped shape the understanding of humans. Richard J. McNally, a psychologist at Harvard, has said, The alien abduction phenomenon, in my opinion, shows how sincere non-psychotic individuals can develop beliefs about and false memories of incredible experiences that never happened. Experts throughout history have tried to figure out why intelligent and mentally stable people have come forward with their encounters of being abducted. Some psychologists claim sleep paralysis and hallucinations are to blame. Memories during hypnosis could also be a factor. Some people think that people who report encounters just simply see the world a little bit differently. According to a study done by Richard J. McNally in 2012, one of the strongest themes in people with false recalls is a vivid imagination. McNally also reports that this group of people also score high in an area called magical ideation and are more likely to believe in ghosts or tarot readings. I don't know. I don't like this guy. <laughs> all in all, the encounters of Betty and Barney have helped psychologists understand the human brain just a little more. Benjamin Simon never felt that the Hills fabricated their story. The Air Force's Project Blue Book, on the other hand, said that the Hills never saw a spacecraft. But like we said, instead we're looking at the planet Jupiter. Either way, the Hills stuck with their story until the very end. Betty, before her death in 2004, even became a respected voice in UFO research. So, in doing my research, I also came across an article. It was the 50 states with the most UFO sightings. Listed all the 50 states from least to most sightings. And I'm not going to cover all of them, but I want to go down the list of the top 10 Anyways, would you like to guess the top 10 states before I count them down? Yes. Okay. New Mexico? No. Nevada? No. Arizona? Yes. Colorado? No. Texas? 
Yes. Oklahoma. No. Nebraska. No. Kansas. No. South Dakota. No. North Dakota. No. Arkansas. No. Missouri. Okay, no. Ohio. <laughs> okay, let me read them. Florida. Hey. Okay, number 10 is North Carolina. They have 2,626 UFO sightings. Number 9 is Illinois. They have 2,758 UFO sightings. Number 8 is Ohio. They have 3,012 UFO sightings. Number 7 is Arizona, and they have 3,188. Number 6 is Pennsylvania, and they have 3,517. Number 5 is New York, and they have 3,830. Number 4 is Texas, our home state, of course, and they have 3,848. Number 3 is Washington with 4,351. Number two is Florida with 5,826. And number one is California. California. With 10,333 UFO sightings. But that's also where they have the UFO conventions, which is either happening this month or next month. So if you want to send us Please send us money. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to pay for our trip to <laughs> UFOCon, it would be much appreciated. It would we'll be. We'll even dress as aliens. And we'll record the whole thing. Yep. You don't want to? <laughs> I just thought of myself being recorded in an alien outfit, and now I'm out. <laughs> if you want to send Nina to UFOCon, much No, I want you to wear a UFO. No, <laughs> UFO. I want you to wear, like, a green alien bodysuit. And that concludes this week's episode of Chills. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can find our online store at chillspodcastnp.store. If you have any personal paranormal stories you would like featured in our podcast, you can email us at chillspodcastnp at gmail.com. The link for our store and our email will be in the description below. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.